Hello and good morning and welcome to The Main Point. It is Wednesday today, Wednesday, August the 24th, 2022. I'm Jonathan Hendrickson here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church um, and you're listening to The Main Point uh, where we kind of go over the Sunday sermon together, uh, talk a little bit about some insights, uh, maybe some things we didn't get a chance to, to, to touch on uh, when we, when we uh, brought the message and then maybe some questions we have or questions sometimes you guys have uh, that we'd like to address in this moment. Well, with me today around the table, of course, is the rest of the pastoral staff. Um, we have Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, Blake Flincham, our children's pastor, and our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, who brought the message this past Sunday. And that message was from um, Luke 19. Um, it's the very famous story of Zacchaeus. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about Zacchaeus. In particular today, our focus on the main point is going to be about joining Jesus on mission, which was the title of the message. Um, to kind of set all that up, um, uh, before we actually had um, uh, the message, we had uh, um, uh, Jeff's wife, Eileen, who uh, just recently went to France. Um, and has this is like her, uh, gosh, I, I know third since she's been here, Rosa Sharon, I think. Third trip to France, um, where she normally goes for about a month at a time to go and... Um, touch base with with uh, people that she knows there, but also to uh, do some mission work uh, with some missionaries that are on the ground there. Um, the the Harringtons are there, and she was sharing with us some of the some of the things that um, that she encountered in this past trip. I know Jeff just from talking with you, some of those things got derailed for her because she didn't she got she got sick while she was there, and so she wasn't able to do as much as she normally would do. Um, but she could spend some time with the Harringtons, it sounds like. Yeah, she got to spend a whole day with them. So. Yeah. And uh, what, um, some of the things that she was talking about, um, I, I think are interesting, and I think we'll, we'll kind of bear on our discussion as we get into Zacchaeus. Um, one thing that struck me, and, and, and I, I guess because, um, I mean, I know that, that Europe is largely uh, post-Christian, but, you know, when we think about Europe, and we think about like medieval Europe especially, there was a time where all of it was Christian. And so it, Christianity gets strong roots there in Europe um, because it becomes the state religion and, and all, right? But now to look at France, and not just France, but the same thing can be said about England, certainly about Spain. Um, and I'm sure some of the other European countries, it's very post-Christian mm-hmm. um, to the point that she said that, I think the stat she shared was that 2% consider themselves evangelical Christians. Yeah, less than 2%. Less than 2% in France. So when you, when you look at that whole idea of whether they're Christian, well, there's a big Catholic influence there. Sure. So probably if you would say how many Christians or people that would claim to be Christians or were baptized into Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe not even practicing, then it's then the world and, and the nomenclature and the um, church uh, growth and all that would say, well, yeah, it's 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 reached, it's it's Christian, and they would probably say they're Christian, mm-hmm. even though in, in reality they're a secular society, and part of the the th- problem with the 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 Catholic Church there. Is that most of the um, churches now are basically like museums or places to go look at architecture or right. art? 
um, and so so people really aren't practicing. Yeah. So it's it's a huge huge mission field um, for people, and and so I, I guess what she was talking about with uh, Michael and them was when you think about it, if you're only like less than two percent of your population is evangelical, mm-hmm. then the the onus and burden of how do I reach people is overwhelming. Sure. And you feel like I if you don't really reach in mass, then maybe you feel like a failure instead of like trying to concentrate on the one, which is right. kind of what I was trying to make point when we get to Zacchaeus yeah. about how Jesus concentrated on the one. But um yeah, so that was kind of like good to hear insight from him too. Yeah. And having talked with um having talked with Michael when he was here before, um uh, and and in seeing uh, some examples actually in, in culture as well um, the the problem becomes even more exacerbated because you can share the gospel with them but the, the French are very philosophical mm-hmm. and they love philosophy and they they entertain a lot of ideas but don't commit to hardly any of them and as a philosopher I can tell you I mean, that's just what philosophy does philosophy is different from differs from religion in that we talk about this in my philosophy course both of them are dealing with the most important questions so it's not as though they're not asking these questions they're certainly asking questions about meaning and purpose and things of that nature you know even metaphysical type questions but the difference between philosophy and religion is that philosophy continues to critique, 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 and doesn't make any commitments. You don't make commitments in philosophy. You, right. you, you just you, you stay non-committal. But religion, at some point, you say, okay, I'm going to commit to this set of beliefs because I believe this to be true or as close to truth as I can get. And so I'm going to, you know, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to sell everything else and buy this. Mm-hmm. And 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 there's a there's an idea of commitment there. Um, that that and that from my conversations with Michael, it, even those who are interested in the gospel, it takes them a long time right to make that next to make step. that next step to make it a personal commitment mm-hmm. to to Christ, a personal commitment to that that set of beliefs. They just are very hesitant to do that. So when you have that, you have that in a culture. Man, how hard is it? And, and you're right. What burden it must feel to, to carry to know that 98% of them are, are, are that way. And you you have a desire to see them, to see that happen. And so you say, well, how do I go about doing that? I can't, if I just go around sharing the gospel with all of them, they're not they're going to listen. And so I think that's where what she was talking about with Michael, realizing that the best thing I can do for these people is to demonstrate the love of Christ love on them, make them a part of my family, make them a part of my life. And then from that, I've got a, pl- a platform that I can actually begin to talk to them. Um, I was, well, and part of their church planning uh, strategy right now, too, is is before the missionary would go and do all the evangelism, all everything, mm-hmm. now he's like a hub leader of several church planters, and they're trying to get native uh, French people people from the culture in the area mm-hmm. uh, that were born there, raised there, lived there, right, or immigrated there and, and reached them and then trained them then to become the church planters and the home church and all that. So that's kind of where everything is moving toward in, in France right now is that, that big movement, that shift of, 
not not have the American missionary come in as the savior, but hey, we're here to help equip you, which is kind of similar to the trip you're getting ready to go on. Right, that's exactly Armenia right. Armenia to kind of equip some pastors and yeah. local uh, native native people to the areas. You know, I was I, I was watching. We were talking about this right before we got, went went on air with the podcast, but I'm I'm watching a, a show on Disney Plus right now, and <laughs> it's a it's a superhero show, right? Called um, called Miss Marvel, and um, there, there's a character on there who is not. Um, most of the characters on the show are Muslim, okay? So they belong to a mosque, belong to a Muslim community. But there's one very, very white guy who has endeared himself to that community. And one of the questions I had, to the point that they, they, they embrace him, they make him a part of everything. He's not, from my, what I can tell, Jeremiah, he's not Muslim himself. He goes to their festivals, though. He goes and hangs out with them. He goes and has meals with them and such. And I I looked at Christina and I said, it's so interesting to me how this character, how in the world did he ever get endeared to that community, right? And then I got to thinking, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, just when you said that, it's like, well, maybe he's like the Jesus character. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's, he's not Christian, he's not sharing no, no, the gospel. No, but, but I would but, think that, that was, you know, if you think about it, that's what Jesus did. In a, he, but in yeah, exactly. So what, what this guy has done is, without having any agenda at all, he's endeared himself to a community who is now used to seeing him at their festivals, used to now, seeing him Hopefully he didn't become a villain near the end of the program. No, 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 I, I, don't, I, I don't think he will. But, I, but that, that's, that's it, it was interesting to me to see that because it, it did make me think of a sort of a missionary mindset, Jeremiah, that, that we have lots of, uh, here in here where we are in, in the Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill sort of triangle area, I know in particular in Chapel Hill there's a heavy sort of um, a Hindu uh, population. They, I know they have well, a big... Morrisville and Cary now are huge. Yeah, that's in Morrisville and Cary. They have a huge Hindu population. They do Diwali and stuff. And I can't remember who it is locally, but they do stuff like that. They go to Diwali. They go to... Not with tracks in their hand or anything, but they just go to be with those people. Not to celebrate the festival, like, and celebrate the, 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 the sort of uh, pe- more... I'm going to use the word here, pagan elements of it, right? But um, but to to be with the people and to get footholds with these people and to show that they actually care about these people. Because the other thing that this show talks about and, 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 and made me think is, is, is the fact that um, these... Uh, these Pakistanis are have come to America and they talk about how alone they feel when they first arrive. And I don't know, Jeremiah. That that sort of struck a, a chord with me when I was when I was uh, when I was listening to that, and and I thought, I mean, that that's that should speak to us as Christians in some ways. Yeah, it's like uh, not just with Pakistanis, but I think anyone who moves to a new place. Mm-hmm. Uh, is going to feel lonely and, the, and they want companionship and how cool would it be if, if we as the church were like the first the first representation of what they see in America like not just I mean not just Middle Easterners but Australians and the, everyone, they don't have friends they sometimes don't have family and so what if what if we as the church uh, sometimes I think we get bogged down in politics and are like uh, kind of offended that some people come. Uh, I don't really want to talk about that, but 
what if we as the church were like the welcoming party mm-hmm. like and we were the first representation of what they 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 see as as trying to you know live a normal life as a foreigner in America um and I think we have a good opportunity if if we can find those opportunities obviously there's probably maybe a language barrier but if there's not and a lot of times it's not anymore uh, if you're going to come to America, you typically learn the language before you come. In fact, a lot of schools are are just teaching English. Mm-hmm. Um, it's becoming a more widely used language uh, in in the whole on the whole globe. Uh, so we like we we have an opportunity to be the welcoming party to show them the love of of Christ and to be a representation of of what America is. Not that all America is Christians, but we don't. If they if they if they caught that that's not necessarily a bad thing, because right. of who they met first in America. Yeah, yeah. I think I've heard somewhere Blake um, that, uh, it, and it's interesting because that you know you guys know I just spent uh, a week dropping my daughter off to college into an area that she, she knows nobody. I mean, right. Literally has no connections whatsoever. Having to make brand new connections with with people, and I think I heard somewhere just recently. And they might have been talking about foreign students in particular, but I bet it's true for most college students that most students who come into campuses like that are never invited to someone's home, never invited to go have a meal with someone. Um, the whole four years they're here in, in our universities and stuff, and they don't know anybody. Like, I, I would, do you know how happy it would make me if, if a group of Christians uh, was on campus and said, hey, um, you know, we see, you know, would you like to come and have a meal at our house to my daughter? Because my daughter doesn't have anybody to connect with. And so, um, you know, I, I just think about that and, and think about, like, not even in colleges necessarily, Blake, but even in schools and, and such. I just think that there, sometimes we think that when we think mission field, we think across the ocean. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I think the mission field is sometimes right in our own backyard. Yeah, I took a, um, like, introduction to Christian missions class back in the spring. And... Uh, Dr. Hildreth gave this resource. I want to say it's on the North American Mission Board's website, but he showed us this tool that we could use to see what uh, uh, people groups were around us. Uh-huh. And so obviously I was looking in Durham and saw that there was a heavy uh, Honduran population, and uh, there's like, um, like out towards Chapel Hill, I know there's a, um, a very uh, high like Asian population and mm-hmm. you can look in Wake Forest and in Raleigh and um, actually in North Raleigh we had a uh, at a church I was serving at or a church that I was attending previously um, had a, a Syrian refugee family that our small group adopted mm-hmm. and we were able to go in and help teach them like you know English and they had a um, obviously, I wasn't teaching English because I don't do well with English for the first place. <laughs> but um, they had like a English books, and it had like pictures. It was kind of like a like Rosetta Stone, but yeah, in a book. Right, kinda, yeah, language. Right. Yeah, and so it's like if it had a picture of like a wheelbarrow, it would have like the how to say wheelbarrow in Arabic and convert it to English or something like or that. Surrey but, County. Oh, for Surrey <laughs> County, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a wide variety how you could say. Right, that's right. But, um, but we were able to go in and just kind of love on them, and they were able to be hospitable to us, and they had questions for us, and we had questions for them because I want to say they were they were Sunni Muslim. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of asking them, you know, kind of like what their culture, what's like, what's a Sunni Muslim, what's a Shiite Muslim, you know, mm-hmm. what's the, yeah. you know, what's the difference there? You know, help me, help me understand a little bit more about who you are and why you're here, you know. Right. And it's such a great, great um, opportunity. And even if there is, I will say going back to the, even if there is a language barrier, a lot of times what I've found out is there won't be a language barrier with the kids. So a lot of times they're kids because they are more academically trained, you know, in America you have free school, whereas mm-hmm. in other countries that might not be the case. The kids will definitely be able to understand the English and be able to translate it to their parents, and you can use them as a means to maybe share the gospel with their parents, and obviously sharing the gospel with them, too. So yeah, sure. There's a lot of opportunities around here. I mean, the the nations have come to us in America. Yeah. And... um I don't want to talk about them, but, you know, throwing the political side out of it, if Christians could realize just like, hey, the nations have come to us. Um, you know, Jesus said, go to the nations. And I think a part of it with the Great Commission, how kind of cool it is for where we're at, the Triangle area, the nations have kind of come to us. We just need to open our mouth and share with them and go do life with them. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of cool opportunities around here. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's the thing is looking for those opportunities, looking for those opportunities to, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to just come up and somebody go, hey, you want to come to my house and eat dinner? Yeah. I mean, like you, you've, got to, you've got to develop some relationships, and there's got to be places to do that. Uh, but we need to have our eyes open to those, to, to those opportunities as opposed to just close completely off. And that kind of gets, I think, a little bit to the message from, from, from Luke, Jeff, the, the idea of Zacchaeus. Um, and looking for the Zacchaeuses in life, the ones who are seekers. Um, there was a real big movement, um, what, about 10, 12, maybe 15 years ago, of the seeker-sensitive church, right? Or seeker- yeah, seeker-friendly, seeker-sensitive. That's probably more like 20, 20 years ago. Was it 20 years ago yeah, that we were having with, that uh, discussion? The, the big church, Willow Creek. Was the Willow one, Creek was, was the, the first one that yeah. did it. And the whole point was uh, making your um, your worship and your um, your message and everything using terms and all that people could understand. Uh, not so heavy with church words, but but seeker friendly, where you can invite people and and your people could come in. Then they're going to they're going to hear the gospel too. Right. So there was nothing wrong with seeker friendly. A lot of people, you know how everything is in in church world. Uh, you have your critics of everything. Sure. Um, so I, 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 for me personally, I try not to use church words as much as possible, and I try not to, to even uh, play the card. I'm a pastor, you know, and I hate it when people introduce me as their as a pastor because I want it because because once you have that, if you use church language or you use your your position, Especially then, a, then a, a barrier is going to go up immediately or. Yeah some kind of um, thought in their mind of a stereotype or what they expect and then they're like well you're just talking to me because you're a preacher Mm -hmm. as opposed to being genuinely interested in what they have to say kind of like what Blake was talking about you know just kind of get to know them and then Mm -hmm. you know when the time comes that's when you start sharing the gospel and and um, all that so I think that the whole point was um, to look at Jesus he's getting ready to die on a cross and the last thing he does he He's going through Jericho, mm-hmm. and he has throngs. You know, he has the masses all around him, mm-hmm. but one person in particular 
uh, comes to know him, and it's kind of interesting when you said, what if Autumn got invited to someone's house? Well, then Autumn would feel accepted, Mm -hmm. that this person cares about me, this person wants to know me, and I think that's kind of what happened in a way physically with Zacchaeus, but then spiritually too, the bigger picture that Jesus was trying to say is that, hey, this is the relationship I want with everyone mm-hmm. kind of thing. So so that kind of brings up a question, um, this idea, because, you know, I know that um, the oh, I, some people have said that Willow Creek's model failed, but Bill Hybels mm-hmm. you know, came out and say, said that at some point. But I think that was because some of the things they were doing, they, 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 they went a little extreme with what they were doing. I think that the idea of being sensitive to seekers is good um, mm. I, um, I and I wonder if should that color um, the way we do evangelism the way that we do um, the way we do ministry in other words should we be looking for the seekers and and not just and, and not just the lost in general yeah because I, I used to say there's two kind of people the lost and they're the found mm-hmm but the more I've thought about it, and a lot of us been, you know, talking with you is, uh, you don't really like to even call them fan- lost. You like to call them uh, not yet, not, not, yet, yet. not yeah. yet believers or not yeah. yet uh, Christians. So, so that made me think that well, well, yeah, there's the lost that are out there that mm-hmm. never have heard of Jesus and all. There maybe there are or are not really seeking, mm-hmm. even in our culture. And then there are those that are lost, but they are seeking. Yeah. They do have a genuine, I want to know the truth, and I want to know if it's there. Yeah. And then you have uh, those that are found, which are those that, that were at that one at one point you were in one of those categories, now you're in the found one. And so now our job is to get, join Jesus back. Um, and the only way you'll know if somebody's a seeker is if you build a relationship. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, Jesus knew, knew Zacchaeus because he's God. Right, right. He knew Zacchaeus was looking and seeking but we don't but if we ask the right questions and all in a way of not being uh, right into hey I'm going to try to win you to the Lord but ask the questions to see where they're coming from to see where they're at on the spectrum then gives you that opportunity to better present the gospel it does seem to me Jeremiah if I think you know just just sort of in in my mind just going over a cursory glance cursory glance in the scripture in my head but it does seem to me that, that Jesus most often goes to minister to those who are actually already seeking him. It, and in fact, we see the same sort of pattern with the disciples or the apostles later with Paul. I mean, like, he tends to minister to those who are already seeking um, or, or seeks out those who are seeking, who are genuinely interested. And that sort of is different from the way we couch evangelism sometimes. We, we talk about evangelism as go and tell the whole, go and tell everybody, right? Um, it, 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 should we should we think in terms of looking for those people who are also looking for Jesus or looking for answers? Yeah, I mean, ideally, I guess. But I don't know how you. It's not exactly like. It's not exactly like you're going to have a seeker symbol above. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, no, no, I get that. So I think you you have to, at some, in some way, have conversations to see. Not that we're vetting or being gatekeepers, like, mm-hmm. oh, they're not even seeking. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, focus on them right now. But in conversations, you realize this person has has went on this journey and has really tried to to seek after some truth um and maybe those are more like prime or more ready 
to for for deeper conversations but you can't ignore either side especially because you don't know unless unless you have some sort of spiritual uh spidey sense where you're like uh you can see like oh this person's a seeker this person's not without even having conversations with them yeah and so um but i do think the pattern in the new testament was somewhat like that like a lot of it was centered on Judaism, right? And right. so they, they would start in the tabernacles. They would start at the temple. Um, and they would kind of move out from there. Um, like that's, that was Paul's model. Paul the would, synagogue. Yeah, Paul would jump mm-hmm. into the synagogue. And he would start there. But then he obviously ended up at, you know, the Areopagus and mm-hmm. other the marketplace and uh, just other places. And he lived there in the community getting to know people. Um but uh, especially with this story, like Jesus does seem to to go after someone who was at least curious about who he was. Well, I mean, to Jeff's point, there's there's throngs all around him. Jesus sort of, I mean, I mean, he's not talking to them necessarily, or the Bible doesn't. So, I mean, maybe he is, right? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. But but it seems as though he's sort of honing in, or you know, homing in on. On this one person who is who's genuinely seeking him. Yeah, big crowds, right? Uh, the idea is there's such a big crowd, that's why Zacchaeus couldn't see or get to Jesus, so he mm-hmm. climbs the tree, right? Um, so you, you you have to wonder, like, why did this make it into Scripture? Why did this particular story, why did Jesus go straight for Zacchaeus? Mm-hmm. And me, as a church brat... Uh, probably thinks that this story has a lot to do with the reaction to Jesus with a known sinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the Pharisees and the ones who are questioning, like, uh, there's a lot of other people. I mean, that's kind of like where we're at. There's a lot of other people here. Why did he go after that guy? Well, yeah, and to your point, um, like, I mean, m- most of them wouldn't have considered Zacchaeus a seeker anyway. I mean, <clears throat> they had written, you know, like Jeff said in his message, they had written Zacchaeus off. So, uh, you know, maybe that should tell us something about how we do evangelism, too. We can't exactly just say, oh, okay, well, that person is clearly not a seeker because, you know, of X, Y, and Z. Well, and I feel like when we do that, we kind of make their decision for them, which I feel like is not looked at well in the eyes of God <laughs> so uh, really yeah. <laughs> um, expand on that a little <laughs> that was a super nice way of saying that. yeah um, yeah I mean we we need to be able to engage with people and engage with them see what um, see where they're at sure because um, I've always loved I can't remember who said but um, Jesus loves us enough to see us where we're at or to meet us where we're at, but um, loves us enough to not keep us where we're at and get mm, us to where we need to there, go. Right. And I think that what should be one of our evangelism models to seek people where they're at, not judge them, you know, like being overtly, overly judgmental, but just seeing um, where they're at and meeting their needs for where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, uh, like what Jeremiah was saying, we don't know who the seekers are, but if we never engage someone in a conversation like say if I have a, a new neighbor or a new co-worker or something and then through the process of time kind of get to know them uh, and let's say that 
you know, one of like let's say my coworker's wife uh, passes away, mm-hmm. and so obviously they're in a crisis moment. But if I never, ever, ever, you know, talk to them or say, hey, you know, care about you. I might even go to the funeral and support them, everything. But if I never ever get to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm praying for you, and and you know, I know you're going through a tough time. If there's anything we can do to help you, you know, I'd like to invite you to this grief counseling thing. And then if the person is like, no, absolutely not, then you know, they're not open. But if they go, hey, hey, yeah, this sounds like something I'd be interested in. And that's how we gauge with the spidey sense if the person, yeah, yeah, where they're at. Uh, because I've had the door slammed on me before where I've tried to talk to someone and they're just they were zero interested period nothing and you're like okay but my point is my point would be not as to slam the door back but just say be nice and then say okay well, I didn't get them to the next step but maybe I got them inched where they're, they're not as uh, upset with someone trying to talk to them about the gospel mm. uh, so our, our job is to get the person to the next step anyway and um Sometimes they are ready. Obviously, in Zacchaeus' case, he was like, this dude, he's accepting me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm joyful. Right, I'll right. give away everything I got to right. follow you kind of thing. Right. Um, so so we don't know where the people are on the spectrum. Our job is just be faithful to the gospel. Right. And then not to try to offend people uh, in the gospel, but using the gospel's offense to help them see where they're at. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah I like that. You know, um, um the uh, I find it interesting because you use three different um, three different texts that are Old Testament texts about about how oh yeah that promise yeah that that, 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 that there's a promise there that if you seek the Lord mm. you will find him and and that kind of gets to my my thought and I know Jeremiah you and I have had this discussion before for sure about about genuine seekers because some people you know. They talk about how um, you know there there are parts of the world again that they never even heard of Jesus or don't you know um, don't don't know him. But I think that and, and so like what happens if they don't you know do, do, if nobody goes and tells them but you know they, um, you know how, how are they supposed to get saved? And but I think that, that this this verse in, in, in these verses in the Bible tend to at least for me affirm that if someone is genuinely seeking Jeremiah. God's gonna God's gonna give them someone, someone, uh, some, some an opportunity to find him. Yeah, I think I think uh, like even the response of the of the the Pharisees here, and and sometimes the response of the church, you get the idea that the church kind of feels like God is hard to find, mm-hmm. like he he's not accessible. Yeah. And that it's almost impossible for people in other countries to, to come to know him because he's so hard to find. Yeah. Um, but when you read scripture, it's like, no, he's pretty accessible. Like he wants, it's, it, he's, not, he's not up there like, I only want to save a few. I don't really want to, mm. I don't want to bother, bother with these others. I'm not, I'm not going to go out of my way, which is interesting way of saying it. I'm not going to go out of my way to to go and, and rescue these people. I don't right. want them to find me. Like he's some sort of other than apart from his creation. Um, but when you read scripture and you, you heard all the promises, like it's 
very clear to me that God God is accessible, that He wants people to turn to Him. Like even Jesus' own words, He's like, "Knock, knocking you or sorry, seeking you will find, asking mm-hmm. you will receive, mm-hmm. knocking the door will be open to you." Like all these things are like, that's not hard. That's a very very easy accessible thing to do Mm -hmm. um uh so it talks about if you seek me you will find me if you search for me with your whole heart and and so i do think that that like genuine seekers when Mm -hmm. we find them that i mean that's really exciting especially for us as pastors like oh we have a, a genuine seeker and to be honest with you i would say anyone who ever shows up at rosa sharon would be considered a seeker. Oh, absolutely. Like, why else would they show up here? And I think that kind of changed my my prayer life because as pastors, one of our main jobs, in fact, maybe our main job, is to shepherd the flock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my prayer life has kind of shifted to, uh, to, to praying that God would send us people. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't used to pray that prayer because I was like, well, no, I'm supposed to go out. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that with my students, and I talk about that with with members here. Like, we we want to send them out, which is definitely the case. Like, that's the evangelism model. I think that's the the model that's that's shown in scripture. Like, we send them out. We we go out and find people. But as a pastor, mm-hmm. our role is a little different mm-hmm. in the sense of we go out, but we also are kind of our main focus is to help shepherd those that come in. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer life just kind of shifted from, from just kind of a focus on, hey God, I wanna, I wanna do what, I wanna honor you in, in how I treat those that come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of weird. I think maybe I'm not sure which came first, my prayer life or all these individuals who kind of showed up from my perspective out of nowhere. Uh, I know they didn't. They have stories and they're important. And a lot of it was tied to VBS and preschool. Mm-hmm. Like, so they didn't show up out of nowhere. But from my perspective, kind they kind of like just they kind of just showed up. Yeah. Like God sent them here. Yeah. Now, did God just send them here like supernaturally, or did some of our members minister to them and go out and and do what we kind of preach and teach and what the Bible mm-hmm. preaches and teaches? And I think. I think it was both and, right? God's right. working. They begin to seek. They show up, and they're prime for us sharing the gospel. And like, they may have plans of, hey, you know, I might, I might join this thing, you know, months down the line. But then we we make sure and share the gospel. And of course, God does His job of rescuing sinners. And so, right. um, it's kind of it's kind of both and. I know that's a long answer to kind of what's going on in my life and my prayer life and what I kind of see going on here at Rosa Sharon, but um, the the Bible is just so clear. Like if people seek, and I don't think there's stipulations to that, like, or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conditions. conditions. Yeah, I don't yeah. know there's conditions. Yeah. Like if you seek and you're in America, you'll find <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Or right. if you seek and you're within 100 miles of a, of a church. Right. Then you'll be rescued. I think. I think is well, Jesus is a lot more accessible. Well, I mean, the the verse that Jeff shared from Acts seventeen uh, seventeen twenty seven, where Paul says, 
um, that that God had appointed the na- you know from one man he made all the nations and set boundaries right and set boundaries so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him and then he says though he is not far from any one of us and so that's you know yeah he's he's saying there's all these nations there's always boundaries but God's not far from any one of us and it, you know and and that that's to your point right that, yeah. that he's not. He, he is far more accessible than I think we, we give him credit and, for. And I like what Jeremiah was talking about. Sorry about that. No, but you're good. Can, I'll but, go but when he said, you know, the, the first verse, the first verse I shared from Deuteronomy wasn't if, it was a conditional, because mm-hmm. that was them going into the promised land. Mm-hmm. They were going to follow false gods, and then he put this condition, like, you've got to do this to come back. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the progression of the uh, next verse, um, it went from if to Jeremiah going into the exile, it was when. So mm-hmm. you're going to be in exile, but when you do this, even though you're in exile, you're going to find me if you seek me with all your heart. Then mm-hmm. with Isaiah's post-exile coming back, it became while. Mm-hmm. So it's something like, all right, now you're coming back, and, and while you're doing this, if you seek me, you'll find me. And mm-hmm. then, then the last one in the New Testament that kind of alluded to it was that passage where Paul was talking to all those uh, philosophers in, in Athens and saying, right. look, all these boundaries and all were set up and you're groping like blind people, but he's right there. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times in our mind, like we say, France was not a Christian nation or America is a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. The nations really aren't Christian. It's the people that belong to the nations mm-hmm. that can become Christian or not Christian. Mm-hmm. And so I think... Um, in our in our way is that we've got to look at us as being born in America that we were born into this um, this wonderful opportunity of, of gospel saturation mm-hmm. so um, so we need to take advantage of that every chance we get which goes back to what Blake was saying when all the nations come here then all of a sudden now we have a, even a super before it was like your only job your only way to to reach somebody from India was to get on a boat and go to India mm-hmm. Now the India is here. So if that was your burden, uh, you have an opportunity to do that now. So. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, I've talked with some people, and you know, they've had questions. You know, well, what if, uh, what if somebody's never heard? And some questions along the lines of that. And one example I always take them to is uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, because it says here that he was like he was like a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. But it doesn't say that he was like a part of the way or that he was a Christian or anything. It just says he was a man who feared God. And God allowed him to have a way to be able to hear the gospel through Peter. Um, And I also think of the um, Ethiopian eunuch when he's sitting there reading the scroll of Isaiah. Uh, I don't think he knew it was from Isaiah, but he... uh, uh, but. who was it that came and helped? Was it Philip? Philip? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Philip came and God provided Philip for him to hear the way and to hear how to be saved. So I think, going back to what you were saying, John, I, I think God and his providence will provide a way if you are genuinely seeking. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as God fears, that's what they called seekers in the Judea- Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, that's what we would call like uh, Rahab and mm-hmm. uh, Right. Others. Cornelius. Yeah. They were all God fearers. Any Gentile that became a uh, follower of Judaism would yeah. be considered a God fearer. So, so, moving to the second point is that 
that if we're going to do, if we're going to join Jesus on this mission uh, to to seek and to save that which is lost, right? Then we have to see lost people as as sinners needing salvation, um, and and that 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 should be something that that should be automatic, I suppose. But but often. Um, you know, unfortunately, we do have the attitude of, of the Pharisees and like, well, you know, Jesus is, is connecting with this guy. This guy's clearly not a, you know, he's not somebody that is very Jesus-centric at all, like, you know, that sort of thing. And we we do tend, we've talked about this already, we tend to sort of write off sometimes people just based on appearance or our... our, our um, our interactions with them um you know there's that you know maybe you've got a boss there that you just can't stand um and that seems to mistreat everybody sorry about that fellas and, <laughs> and, and, and uh <laughs> yeah and 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 you know, mistreats every mistreats everyone and um you think well there's no way possible for that guy to to i'm not even gonna waste my breath on on that one because he's certainly not a seeker, and um, and he's you know he's grumpy all the time, and uh, I, I just don't like him. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like you know that, but 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 but, and and I have to remind myself of this sometimes. I think we as Christians sometimes we have this tendency to expect everybody lost. Uh, you know the, the the ones who are seeking, the ones who are found, everybody to act like Christians, and when they don't, then we're like, oh well, then they're you know they're, um, they're those are clearly bad people that I don't want any any association with. But people who aren't Christians, Jeremiah, aren't going to act like Christians. I mean, that's just that's just it. They're they they're not they're not living their lives according to the way, right? Yeah, I think we mistake like accountability because they are accountable accountable mm-hmm. for their actions with like uh, I don't know a different word, but um, and because I don't want to I don't want to say they're not accountable for their actions, sure. Right? But right. if we if we if we just focus there and not 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 realizing that I was in the same boat and would be in the same boat. Uh, because everything good that happens in me uh, is because of Christ. And that's mm-hmm. why I know I probably say it so much, but Galatians 2.20, my favorite verse, talks about how the life I now live mm-hmm. in the present, I live by faith in the Son of God. So meaning that uh, it's, it's Jesus who, who lives in me and works out in me. So if I didn't have access to Jesus, if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, I would I would be in the same boat mm-hmm. well how does that work when we talk about those who aren't Christians mm-hmm. well that means they don't know I mean they don't, they don't they don't we can't expect them to act like Jesus if they don't possess Jesus mm-hmm. if they're not in the sanctification process why would we think they're even working on their sanctification right I mean I'm impressed that they have any like <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. really if right. you think about it they're 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 stuck having to be motivated by following man's law mm-hmm. and and you know the things that God has written on man's heart like don't murder the conscience right, and right. those types of things and 
And so some of that's influenced by society, and I think some of that is is God working and drawing in their lives, even though they're apart from Christ. But to say that like we they have to live by the same standard as us, technically yes, they're accountable by that standard. But we all know that we we're condemned already. We don't have to bring condemnation to them. They were already condemned, and that's what John three. 16, 17 says mm-hmm. uh, that Jesus didn't come bringing them condemnation or showing condemnation. He came because they were condemned. Right. And so we we as Christians gotta gotta be careful not to focus on hey you're you sinned so you're not going to heaven. And it's like no, they're not going to heaven because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Right. And they sinned. And they were unrepentant of that sin because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's all about it's all about Jesus working his his working inside of them instead of like focusing on who who sinned and how much did they sin and 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 look sin sucks sin is so bad like I don't want to say it's not um, and we do need to teach against sin but if you only and I'll say it again if you only Tell people they're sinners, convince people they're sinners, and don't tell them about Jesus. You're just a jerk. Mm-hmm. That's not good news. That's not the gospel. All you've done is give them bad news and then walk away, and they don't want you or Christianity because all you do is give them bad news all the time. Right. And more rules and regulations and you're, extra you're, stuff to Yeah, you're by. preaching legalism. Yeah. You may not be mean to, but you are. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're preaching that the idea is... It's all about what you do, not what has been done for you. Mm. Um, so here's a question for you, and I'll, I'll start with you, Blake. Um, I, um, clearly, we need to go, and we're going to go into these areas. We're going to try and win the lost. How far do we go? And is, is, is there, is, you know, how far is it that we go um, before we've gone, like, too far in to try and reach lost people? And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Because there are some people who say, you know, the best way to go and, and, and reach someone who, uh, who, who is, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, maybe not living a Christian life is to go into the places where they're hanging out, right? So, like, go to the bars, go to these places where, um, you know, where they're, where they're drinking and partying and stuff. And you go in, you don't want to be completely different from everybody else. So how far do you go, you know, before in order to reach some? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. There's some there, there's some Christians, uh, some evangelists who take that tack. They'll, they'll go into bars and stuff. Um, and of course, then as a pastor, what does it look like if you're going into a bar all the time, you know, and and hanging out with hanging out with riffraff? You're gonna have Pharisees who are gonna look at you and go, "Oh, look at him. He's hanging out with the riffraff." You know, he he's not much of a pastor. Um, what do we say to all That's that? That's a good question because we're called to be above reproach, but we're called to live sinners. At our, we're called to live above reproach, but we're called to be friends with sinners too. Right. There we go. Sorry, I got kind of tongue tied there. <laughs> um, so there kind of is like a you know what's the what's the balance there? I think when I think we have to be able to be on guard for ourselves and know first I think we kind of got to know our limits you know because like if uh if we've got struggles with alcohol in the past we probably and you know if that's still something you got to fight against you probably shouldn't go into a bar and 
drink one or two and just to see, you know, right. in the name of becoming all things to all people so that I might reach some, you know. Right. Um, now, having a conversation with those people, you know, at lunch or breakfast one morning, I think is probably a better approach, like getting to know the people. Maybe just not in those settings sometimes, yeah. uh, inviting people to your home. Um, and if you know that they are in those settings, that doesn't mean you got to go specifically there because, I mean, like, you can go reach the people without going to where they go on a Tuesday night somewhere or a Saturday night, you know what I'm saying? Right. So uh, going to the people, but not necessarily, not necessarily always going to the places yeah, that they're at. Blake makes a good point right there. Like, I think because of how we have taught on sin, we think we have, so like even how we read this scripture, we think we have to go to the place where they sin to reach sinners. Mm. Because we think, it's like subconsciously, we think that's who they are. Oh, he's a he's an alcoholic. I got to reach him at the bar, right? Mm-hmm. But does the alcoholic not have to go like to work and to the gym and to did, the grocery store? Like, where did you meet you know? this alcoholic if all he does is go to the gym? Why don't Why don't reach him where you met him at? Mm-hmm. Right, because you obviously know this person. Now there are some who are like way overtaken by alcohol. And I guess they just like live at the bar. They're pretty homeless. Homeless is a whole another thing, right? Like, but I I just don't think we should we should associate individuals as what their like main sin is. Let Let me ask you Let me ask you this way because I know you'll you'll relate to this. Okay. Let's say uh, you're a member at a gym, right? And uh, you get a chance to talk to people there, but you want to develop relationships with them. It's hard to do it right there at the gym sometimes because you're, you know, panting and sweating and all that yeah. stuff. But they're, they're organizing, hey, we're going to go out for pizza and beer, right? So you, uh, you know, so you go with them for, for or we're going to go out, or they're just going to go out for drinks, Let's just say, let's leave the pizza out. Let's say they're going to go out for drinks. Is is there is there a benefit to going with them um, just to develop rapport, even if you're not drinking? You don't have to drink. I'm just saying, is there a benefit to going out with these people to develop rapport, or is it better to stay aloof and say, no, I'm not going to participate in that kind of thing? It's tough. Um, I did. I did a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. So I was in. I was in this like exact scenario quite a few times, and um, I'm not judging anyone that went out, or I'm not judging me who right. necessarily didn't, right? Right. Um, but I, I will say, based on experience, so I don't know if I can necessarily point to something in scripture. Based on experience, not very much fruitful happens, except for just being a part of the community so if your goal well i guess that's my point though so the if, goal is you want so, so if you if you never go out with those people yeah do you feel like you're gonna ever really become part of the community do you know what i'm saying like like if they're going out and doing these things on the regular and you don't go doesn't that necessarily alienate you from them in some ways yeah if the community I guess it's different if the community is based on the the bar or the event, right? Sure, sure. Because then you're like, 
you're you're going against everything that this community is even based on. Right. Um, but like at the gym for us, the community wasn't based on that. It was it was extracurricular from what the community is based on. Mm-hmm. We we all go to the same gym. Um, and the cool thing is, you're probably not ever going to be in this situation very often because, like, there's going to be kids involved and families involved. Mm-hmm. And typically there's other people, even if they're not believers, who, who don't drink or uh, underage people as a part of the community. Um, so it, it's like kind of case by case, in my opinion. Um, but I don't think you should be, like, seeing yourself as a sinner if you do go. You just got to be careful, um, because especially once once people start getting a, a few drinks in, like you don't know what they're gonna remember. You don't know what they're gonna take out of context. I have I have upset some people just saying not not maybe nothing about Christianity, but like you upset people and you didn't mean to offend people, but just how they react because they're kind of lubricated, like it just it just. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's a very fruitful setting, especially when, like, alcohol abuse is involved. But um, if you can kind of get people to go, hey, let's go to dinner where they'll also drink, like, the, obviously you want to go do that. Um, or we would do fight night, right? Mm-hmm. And the fight, we were all there for the fight, and obviously I was invited for the fight, and that goes into the wee hours of the night, like 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m., mm-hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I mean, just go case by case. But if you feel like you're not being very effective, then uh, I would stop. But ultimately, you're trying to honor Jesus. I'll actually say, I sometimes I actually run into this scenario at the races I go to. Well, yeah, yeah, that's another example. So for, like, we were in Bristol back in 2020. It was the first time they opened back up since COVID. And mm-hmm. um, we're just kind of tailgate. I mean, obviously, no alcohol or anything. We're just trying to grill a steak or just put some burgers on the grill, you know. And mm-hmm. people around talking and and the race community, you know, they're all pretty easy to talk to. You know, it's kind of like one big family there, and you just kind of get to talking. And um, this guy, I mean, it was race started at seven. It was three o'clock. This guy was probably four, five, six in. I mean, already hammered. Right. Asked me if I wanted a I had a bush light coming up. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm good. I actually don't drink. And he's like. He actually said, man, I wish I could be like that. Mm. And so, and I say that to say, you know, you can go and kind of hang out. Now, I don't purposely go to hang out with drunk people right, <laughs> at a right. tailgate at a race, you know. Right. But it, 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 I mean, when you're there, sometimes it can happen naturally. But just kind of, you know, talking with people and just being friendly up front and right. just getting to know them, you know, what they do for a living. And, and, and I think, I think to, to both your points, too, I think the, the thing that you don't want to do is to go, um, you know, if you get invited to something like that, you know, go, you know, well, I don't do that. And you shouldn't do it either, you know, and, 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 and going onto a whole judgmental track yeah. with them. You know? I think, it's like a, and that's... And I think that's I think that's a danger as well. Go go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, here's the thing: if you're going to be friends with people and you want to build relationships, there's ways to do that. So, for example, like if you're in the gym and are like, "Hey, we're going to go hang out for a little bit," you don't have to go and hang out the whole time. Yeah, mm-hmm. they always drive. You don't have to always. apologize about not drinking because in our society, I mean, everybody pretty much can do whatever they want. So you could just say, "Hey, you know." I've, you know, I don't drink, but it's no big deal to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drink Diet Coke or whatever. 
um, and then you don't judge everybody if they're ever taking a shot or something. You got to like, you got to be able to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. All right, and so, uh, so I think the point I was trying to make is we don't look at sinners as just being sinners. Period. Like they're a sinner. We got in the back of our mind goes, you know what? They're in need of they're in need of a savior. So if I could just mm-hmm. be hang out with them for about an hour or so, get to know some of them. Yeah. In this setting, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go home. I'm going to pray for them. I still have a relationship with them. Yeah. Then the guard is down. Mm-hmm. So then if that person uh, does say, hey, man, uh, you want to go have lunch sometime? Or, or you get them in that other setting where you can talk to them. Or something happens in their life. Right. Uh, maybe they're getting ready to get married. And like, I don't know any preachers. Will you do my wedding? Well, now you got an opportunity. That guy was sitting there taking shots to have an opportunity <laughs> now in a sober place to say hey you know here's what i want to talk to you about and why are you getting married so yeah so the opportunity of i mean really if you think about zacchaeus in jericho Mm -hmm. is the number one center and everybody Mm -hmm. in the whole town wrote him off they knew jesus was coming through town in fact he'd been there for two days right he'd already healed blind bartimaeus and all this other stuff now he's making his way out of town so you would think about it like if this is the most notorious sinner in town, we need to bring him to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Nobody did that. Right. And so Jesus came to Zacchaeus. And that's the same thing. Jesus came to Jeff McCarthy. Mm-hmm. So I had an opportunity, you know, am I going to write off all my fraternity brothers and everybody I knew from college and everybody I knew from the workplace, everybody I knew in my lost world, just write them off and be, you know, goody two shoes. I can't have anything to do with you guys. Or I'm going to say, hey, I'm here for you. I don't really do this stuff anymore, but it's all right. I'm not judging you. Right. But I want to be here for you. And yeah. that's 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 the thing. That's the key right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do drink at all, you just need to know that you, you've got to have that conscious of, uh, of, of um, uh, there is a conscious of being a stumbling block. And if yeah. God says for you, it's a sin for you to drink in front of people uh, in a way that they're going to look at you and think, okay, that guy's a pastor mm-hmm. and he's doing that. So now I can do what I'm doing multiplied, right. magnified. Right. So then that becomes a sin for you. Yeah. Um, so so you have to have discernment and you have to know what, what uh, God is God is uh, convicting you of when it comes to these matters. But I would, me personally, I wouldn't go and have a beer or, or a glass of wine with anybody mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that I knew that was lost or seeking because I don't want to put a barrier there that yeah. may keep them from coming to know Christ. I mean, let's be honest. I had a wedding one time here, and it was kind of interesting because I got invited to the reception, but then they had a, a after reception. I'm like, why are you having two receptions? Well, one's for all the church people and friends, but then we're going to have one. We're going to have alcohol. Right. So you didn't get invited to that one. And I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, I should have been invited to all of it. You know, yeah. I wasn't, you know, I'm not going to judge anybody. Yeah. In fact, you know, uh, I really hate it that there is so much alcohol at weddings that people do go way overboard. Yeah. Uh, because they are actually sinning because the Bible does say if you drink to excess, excess. you are sinning, period. Right. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. Um, so it's just something you as a as a believer have to uh, really, really, really pray about it and get, get, get in your mind concerning you individually. 
And you got to be so strong in that. Mm-hmm. And that, and then that's your belief and your philosophy. And then that helps you launch what you're going to do when it comes to trying yeah. to reach people. Because, you know, um, if you invite someone to your home in today's day and age, they may bring a bottle of wine. Right. Thinking, okay, well, I'm bringing a bottle of wine. You know, that happened to me when I was, when I was a kid. My, my, my brother was a Marine, and one of his Marine Corps buddies came. And my mom was cooking spaghetti, and he was Italian. So he brings a bottle of wine. Right. My mom's like, we're not allowed alcohol <laughs> in this house at all. But she didn't make a big deal out of it. She just, you know, because she's like, we just don't, we don't really drink. But that's, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's ways you can do it, and you still can you can still be a, a faithful witness to Christ. Yeah, and that's... But just don't write people off. That's the... Yeah, 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 that's... And I think that's the key, right, is mm-hmm. is, is to be aware, to be sensitive, uh, to, to look for those seekers and to, re- and, and to not write people off just as, you know, sinners and... and or like you said, just going and... Because it's not... I, I, the one thing I, I don't think you do is I don't think you set up a, a podium in the bar... Or just outside the bar and try to preach to, to drunkards, you know, like you know, doing street preaching and stuff, or or you know, that doesn't or with a megaphone, or with a megaphone at the ta- at the NASCAR tailgate, you're not gonna. That happens a lot. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I don't think you. But who has a bigger impact? You sitting there and and say, hey, I don't drink, and the guy goes, I wish I could be like that, yeah. as opposed to someone with a bullhorn saying, yeah. you're going to hell for drinking. Right. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. that's that, well, I definitely don't want to be like that dude. Right. right. <laughs> I, and, and I think I think that's. I will say it ha- it has back backfired for me before, where I was just trying to be open minded, just just trying to be a part of the community, and 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 certain individuals will just like they will think you're a goody goody two shoe. You're better than everyone mm-hmm. else. That was never my intent, but I know it's happened. Like I've, yeah, I've heard. You know, and and that's frustrating as a believer because as long as you're not the one actually trying, as long as you're not the one, if that's their attitude of you, you can't control that. Yeah, that could just be a stereotype. That's just a stereotype. But if now, if you're the one actively acting that way, then that's different. Do do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you in a way you are actively acting acting that way from maybe their perspective, right? Because like I could have drank and I didn't, right? right? Yeah, like there's. I could have not come. Right. And I think some people have that mentality. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be careful. Yeah. And, and, and it, for me, it's more about the conversations that happen outside of those events, one-on-one conversations, and, and really inviting people to ask you questions. I try not to, like, talk about certain subjects unless I'm asked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why... As pastors, we struggle with, like, when do we tell people I'm a pastor? Right. And uh, lately, I just go, I just tell people. I don't I don't hide it anymore, like, mm-hmm. at all. Because I did have a few conversations with people, and they were like, hey, dude, I think people would like to know earlier. Mm. Uh, like, well, people who knew me very well and had a relationship with me, mm-hmm. they would have other conversations with people and realize, hey, they don't like to be surprised with that because they get embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just now, I just tell people because mm-hmm. it's going to come out. They're going to be like, the, the sin is so prevalent in our world that 
at the moment where they realize, oh, this dude, he did, he doesn't cuss, he doesn't participate in the gossip or whatever, he, he won't go out with us. Like they, they're gonna find out eventually, and it's gonna mm-hmm. be kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. So now I just I'm just up front. Like even with my my, I play video games every once in a while, and I have like a core group. Mm-hmm. But when someone new comes in. I don't even have to tell people anymore because my group is like, hey, they make a joke out of it, right? right. Hey, we got a pastor in here. Got got to watch your mouth. Yeah. This. <laughs> and I, and of course, I'm like, no, I ain't like that. But I, I am a pastor, right? In case that, see, in the, case the, that okay. bothers you. So, so your response to that, I, I actually like that because I think there's a difference in in saying, hey, yeah, yeah, I am a pastor, yeah. or as, as opposed to, I am a pastor. You need to be aware, yeah. you know, and, and and everybody here know that I am a pastor. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, that sort of attitude. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a di- yeah, there's yeah, difference yeah. between. So that. yeah, so if you lead with that, then you, if you lead it, and I think that's the point I was trying to make. I don't want people to think I'm like as soon as I say, hey, yeah, I'm a pastor for church, then automatically I'm judging you and all this. Stuff. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And we do want people to be genuine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because that's my fear. And and, and to go to your point, I, I I don't automatically lead with it because I don't want people to not be genuine with me. Right. I don't yeah. want people to put on a facade just cause just cause they know that I'm a pastor. I'd rather yeah. them but um, if you know it's going to be a long-term relationship, yeah, you you ha- you almost have to because I have I have offended people the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Of they realize I'm a pastor and then they get embarrassed based on their own yeah. conceptions of what a pastor is. They sure they get embarrassed or like on a plane one time, I finally told someone like <laughs> two and a half hours in, yeah, and they were like apologizing <laughs> to the moon, yeah, and I'm like, I do. I, I wish I wish you hadn't asked me what I was because I'm not I'm not that guy. Like, right, right. But then they of course didn't cuss again. <laughs> didn't talk well, about that it. Well, I always talk like well, you didn't bother me. I, you know, I'm just, <laughs> they quit offering me drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, I should have just told you up front. Uh, all right. Well, listen, we're we're a little over time here, guys. So we're about to cut a, cut our conversation at this point. But it's been a good discussion today. Hope you have enjoyed it as well, listeners. And uh, we invite you, if you have questions or comments on anything that you've heard us discuss and talk about today, uh, email us. And you can email us at rospcpastors, well, that's plural, at gmail.com. We'd be glad to hear from you. Um, Jeff, do we have a preview for this coming Sunday? Yeah, a little quick, little short verse. We're going to be praying for the students and children and uh, teachers. It's uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 25 brethren pray for us okay talk about prayer why we should pray for other people that's real prayer is an important thing that i don't think we spend enough time talking about and so that's that's gonna be a good discussion all right great we'll look forward to doing that with you on the next one until then have a great and a blessed week and we'll see you then so long